Hello and welcome to another exciting trial recap edition. This episode, we are going to recap our recent playthrough of the Open Legend RPG by Brian Feaster. This game is currently on Kickstarter. It has already funded several times over. It is smashing stretch goals as we speak. And I think we had a lot of fun with the game. But as always, we try to separate if we had fun with how well the game works. So we're going to give a recap and review of what we thought, what we liked, what we didn't, and give you our opinions on that game. So as always, let us introduce the players that played in that game. Uh, howdy, all you kids out there in Radio Land. I'm Scott, not your favorite co-host or Michaels, but here I am. Yeah, Matthew is six. This is Klaus. Hello. He gave me notes from the game and I'm, wa- I'm reading them for him. Sorry. Please, God, keep that up for the entire episode. And my favorite co-host and yours, the Caleb G. Hello, everybody. I'm so happy to be here tonight. Now, Caleb, you were the one that sort of started this off. Uh, We got approached by Brian, asked to take a look at the the game. I kind of forwarded that on to you as the crunch master. And you seem to be smitten with it right away. So why don't you give us a bit of an overview of the, the game system and, and kind of like what it was about it that, that really uh, struck you as something we would want to be involved with. I, I think what attracted me most to Open Legend was, well, to be honest, first and foremost, the artwork. I know that has nothing to do with the game, but uh, the art is very slick. Brian put together an awesome website. It's very appealing. It's very easy to navigate. And after I was captured... Uh, by the imagery, I realized that the entire rule system was right there online to look at. So this was not a typical Kickstarter game. Hey guys, here's a sample. Here's kind of what's happening. No, Brian just gave us all the rules right there. So that appealed to me immediately. I was able to sit down, read the entire rule book. Not only could I make characters, but I knew how everything worked. I knew how to run the game. That appealed to me the most. The fact that the entire game was open, that I could look at um, the forums, the community, they're all very vibrant and active. Everyone is very happy to be participating in what's happening. There's just a lot of fun life in this game. And when I realized a little bit more about how flexible the rules were and how easy they are to use to do a lot of different things that really sold me and won me over. So I think it's completely fair to say that the artwork is an important element. Uh, When we did our recap of uh, Simbarum a while back, I know Scott and I both remarked how that artwork was very captivating and kind of drew us in as well. So I think that's that's a totally fine place to start. But you also really liked the mechanics. Do you want to give us kind of an overview of how the mechanics work? Granted, it's been over a month since we played the game. So if you don't get them exactly right, you know, they are free on the website. People can go look themselves. But sort of your remembering of how the mechanics work. So bottom line is you roll a d20. You roll some additional dice depending on your abilities and levels. And you compare that number to a DC. But everything explodes. All the dice explode. The D20 and all the supplemental dice, they all blow up. That is essentially the critical mechanic in this game. You can get massively big numbers. You keep rolling every time they explode. It's very exciting. It's real swingy, but it's real fun. Supplement to that, instead of having really a separate spell list or status effect list 
you had what Brian calls banes and boons. And this is how you generate special abilities, whether they be spells, psychic ability, technology, whether that technology is futuristic, sci-fi, nanotech, whether it's steampunk. He, he lets this one core concept deliver every possible outcome. And it's all based on interpretation and the setting. So the, ex- the exact same rule for an energy blast applies to whatever you're doing, and you just flavor it based on the genre. You don't have to flip through a, a spell book to find your cure spell or your fireball or your how your laser gun works. It's all one ability, and you just flavor it and narrate it properly. Similarly, things like poisoning, slow, other types of status effects, uh, whether you're immobilizing someone, there is one core mechanic and you interpret it based on the flavor of the game. And you can even change that a little bit as you're playing. So if you use an ability that would um, incapacitate someone, you could flavor that to be I'm hitting them in the right nerve points to stun them, I'm using magic to stun them, I'm using poison to stun them. It's all incorporated, and essentially it's all incorporated into one role. That one big role you make defines how the status effects, the status conditions, the banes and the boons trigger. They trigger if you roll high enough that they're automatically there, or you could choose to do a role to try to just get that effect to trigger. Uh, It was a little bit complicated when I first read it, just because I hadn't grasped the concept. But as Brian explained it while we were playing, it clicked. It made perfect sense. And it felt very, very natural. Uh, it flowed very easily with the game. And I think that's what supported my initial attraction to the game. Once I got into the rules, it clicked. It made great common sense. There was no, wait a minute, I need to check how this rule works. Let me look this up. It was just, okay, I'm doing this. It's also doing this. Let's go. Let's narrate. As much as I love the mechanics of it, it let me shift those mechanics to the background and focus on the narration of what was really happening from those mechanics. All right. So that's kind of where the open in open legend comes from. So let's get Scott and Matt uh, in. So I'll start with you, Scott. What were your thoughts on the mechanics? Now, I don't know that you read through them. You know, you did the playthrough and got the explanation from Brian. Do you, you know, positive, negative? What did you think of how the mechanics worked in the game we played? Well, the, the first thing uh, I have to do is, is say that's definitely not where open comes from in uh, the open system. Open is the license. It's, it's, uh, Brian is a, a real software license savvy guy, and so of course, open comes from the aggressively open software like copy left inspired license that he's used to uh, interpret his works. Uh, that said, um, I enjoyed the system. I enjoyed the mechanics. I, I think the most satisfying visceral part of it for me was um, rolling large dice, rolling lots of dice, and having dice explode. This is the only system that I've ever ro- played with that had all three of those things going for it. There's nothing more satisfying than having a D20 explode, especially when it explodes twice. Maybe it was just because during our playthrough, our rolling was unimaginably, statistically, impossibly, likely lucky. But uh, I thought it was really satisfying to just uh, roll those beautiful dice and and crush 
the numbers that you're used to getting in a D20 system. Okay, and Matthew, what about you? What, what was your experiences with the, the mechanics, thoughts, and um, I don't really remember the mechanics because I think I made two rolls, but uh, I enjoyed the game. Uh, I liked how if we... And, th- and this could also be, you know, the fact of Brian being the DM or GM or legend teller. I don't know what they call themselves. But, you know, there was a lot of times when we just RP'd through entire swaths of of the story and uh and you know he would say you know i would want you to roll for that but that was just so good that i really don't want it to fail so let's just keep going so that being said i enjoyed the rolling because exploding dice are awesome and um i'm a big fan of having multiple dice so i thought it was i thought it was all in good fun and uh it's it's vague enough to uh to satisfy even the the uh crunchiest person i think so from from my point of view obviously the rules will allow you will will facilitate a good fun game because i think we had a a fun game but one of the things that's come come across to me and i thought about i've had some other people ask is that the system in a lot of ways does sort of resemble savage worlds like there's a lot of similarity at least from my understanding of these rules and my understanding of savage world rules so just because i have a feeling some of our listeners may have thought that too I'll turn it over to Caleb, again, our Crunchmaster. Do you see a resemblance between the two? Do you think that's a fair comparison? And if so, why? And if not, why not? There's certainly inspiration. There's certainly a shared concept of rolling multiple dice that explode. And there's the concept that your stats translate into a dice pool instead of numerical bonuses. However, I don't think there is a direct evolution from one to the other. Savage Worlds really feels like its own system to me. While there's certainly overlap, there's just as much overlap with any other role-playing game. There's so many games that use the concept of aspects, like Fate. There's lots of games that use that, but you don't necessarily assume they're all clones of fate. They just share very similar concepts, and that's fine. That's the hobby world we live in. We borrow the mechanics we like, we borrow the terms we like, we use them in different ways. Uh, To me, Savage Worlds feels a lot smaller. The DCs tend to be on the smaller side, and the dice rolls, I think, matter more. In, in Savage Worlds, uh, you need that four. That four is super important. Plus, Savage Worlds does have its own mechanic. Uh, if I remember correctly, the dice is considered success if it's four or higher, and then the extra dice you get just add to that. Sort of. Um, most things have a target number of four unless you are physically attacking someone and then it's their parry. And every time you get four higher than what you needed, it's considered a raise, and raises can give you extra effect or damage. Gotcha. So essentially, all you care about is four in (laughs) Savage Worlds. And I know we're streamlining that a little bit to make the comparison, but uh, with Open Legend, we're talking, hey, I got a 70. That's, That's a big difference to me, and that's not abnormal. That's par for the course. Plus, Savage Worlds has the card mechanics to 
generate initiative and other various abilities. There's a lot of similarities, yes, but they are very clearly two different games. They're not they're not overlapped. Okay. And I think sort of the other aspect that draws comparison is the fact that Savage Worlds is also very much like everything has trappings. So I'm going to do this thing that does, you know, five points of damage, but I can flavor that however I want to. And I, so I think the two things together, it, it is going to draw a comparison to anyone who is familiar with Savage Worlds. Uh, I am not the most experienced at Savage Worlds. I've played it maybe, maybe half a dozen times. And for me, I don't think it felt the same either. Like uh, part of it was not needing just a four, not having raises, having the larger dice that also explodes. So they, at the table, you know, there were some similarities, but it didn't feel like, hey, I'm just playing Savage Worlds with a D20. I don't think that's a necessarily, is in my opinion, a, a fair comparison to that level. And then I don't remember, I don't because it didn't really happen until the very end, but I don't know how the death mechanics work. I don't know how hit points work in this game compared to Savage Worlds, because that's one of the things I don't like about Savage Worlds. I don't like the death spiral mechanic. Uh, other than that, I actually really enjoy Savage Worlds. Do you remember kind of how hit points work in this game, Caleb? It's actually pretty simple, and it's meant, I think, to keep the story moving forward. Essentially, that giant roll you make, anything over the defense of your target translates into damage. So it's really one roll for everything you want. Your hit points, very much like 5th edition, are an abstract concept of your ability to negate pain and stamina and keep moving in the face of exhaustion and essentially if you're at zero you're unconscious uh when you are unconscious there can be such a thing as a finishing blow which could actually result in your character's death um their a finishing blow essentially targets your fortitude or agility uh, because just like um just like 4th edition, you have slightly different types of defenses for different things that are happening. Um, and uh, in the example of a finishing blow, you actually make a fortitude roll, essentially a fort save, uh, to see if you succeed or actually die. Uh, but if you are at zero and there is no finishing blow happening, essentially you just come to after combat and you recover, and there's a, um, a a just a very basic you get back to full capacity in X hours kind of concept. So, uh, Matthew and Scott, back to you guys. Uh, I'll go to Scott first. I, again, I apologize, I don't remember. Have you played Savage Worlds before? No, I have not. I, I have not played Savage Worlds before. I've I've played in the setting, but I think uh, I think we that that was in our game where we used Faye instead. All right, so uh, so I will not ask you to compare then the rule set. So so let me put it this way: any system that is going to call itself open, an open system in this case, whether it be because of the license or because of the freedom of character creation, it needs to be able to model those characters correctly. And we already talked about how it's designed to do. So I'll ask you, Scott: Do you feel like the system allowed you to play the character that you were playing in a way that was satisfying? Did you feel like your character should feel like in that game. Um, let's see. That's 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 kind of an interesting question. I, th- I think it has a you know a couple of good points. I think uh, for the for the character I was playing, it was, it was somewhat of a one dimensional character, right? Sniper. 
I mean, in uh, Fate or Wushu, that would basically have one trait that could be Sniper, right? That that uh, that would fill out, I, I guess, you know, a third one of Believer, right? There was that cultural, social aspect that we added in, and that didn't come up mechanically much, although um, that flavored the roleplay a great deal. So, um, I I think... Um, in in in, in that uh, the 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 sniper skills, my my specific experience in our game, you know that there it had a high dice of damage, right? That it had some additional abilities to like knock people out or 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 do special types of damage. Uh, it had an incredible range, right? I, I think, um, you know, uh, in the economics of character creation, there there was a lot sunk into that, right? And points and whatever. And so I I think that di- uh, that accurately reflected the character concept. Um, I don't know that the system better represented that character than any other system would have. But I think, um, speaking more generally, not just of my character, but but my experience of the mechanics, I I enjoyed the mechanics because they... Um, it, it did seem like a good compromise between sort of a, a system that was general enough that you could point by or invest in whatever skills or abilities you thought reflected uh, your concept in the mechanics, but it, it, it didn't turn it all the way up to 11 like GURPS does where you have to buy every trait and flaw and, you know, spend you know, half point, get, get half point skills when you have 500 point budget. Uh, so that was nice. Really. There was only like six or eight moving parts to my character and that was enough to kind of keep it manageable. All right. And so Matthew, I want to ask you the same question. Cause as everyone knows, who's been listening, your favorite character type is an animorph because <laughs> you can turn into animals. <laughs> so did this game let you feel like that was a cool thing for you to do? It most certainly did. I could turn into uh, people and critters, and it didn't matter what I wanted to turn into, and I could even make stuff up, and it, I could still turn into it, so it was fun. Uh, but um, I enjoyed the rules. I did play, uh, I think I played Savage Worlds, we can call it played, uh, that one time we played Savage Worlds on uh, the show. So in comparison to those rules, I find the comparisons very deep, but the numbers are much bigger and much more skewed towards D&D in that regard for me. But um I like that um at some point this game becomes when you get to a higher level it's not so much about rolling, it's more about story. So I feel like maybe if we were playing level 1 Joe Schmoes, we would have been rolling more, but because we were playing these high-end uh karma level 100 characters that we were kind of just like, hey, ho, we're really fast and loose with everything. Like how I changed my head into the little boys and said that I was sick. So, so this is a question basically for, for all of you. You guys can fight amongst yourself who answers it. But sort of the, the fear that I would have with a system like this, that's, that's an open system that says you can play anything, is that all the characters then kind of feel the same. Because we're really all doing the same thing. It's just how I describe it is the only difference. So did any of you feel that way during play? And again, granted, we didn't do a lot of role mechanics. But did you ever feel like, I'm just rolling a D20 plus 6. Matt's rolling a D20 plus 6. Scales are in a D20 plus 6. But it it's the same? Did, like, did anybody feel that way? Or, or not feel that way, I guess? I will say that it did not feel like that to me. I talked with Brian during our interview and off mic a little bit about character creation. And I think that's where the difference shines, and that's something we didn't get to experience during the actual play trial we did. Uh, Like other point-by type systems, as you buy points in your stats, that's what unlocks the 
usage of the different banes and the boons. It's not just that everyone can apply a status effect on a chart. You have to have three agility and two energy in order to get access to fill-in-the-blank boon. So there is a difference mechanically between characters, and that is certainly something we missed out because Brian made us pregens. And I think if you are starting from level one, like Matt said, and moving up, you will very easily get that sense of development and growth of your character, and that's where you'll see the difference between all the other characters at the table. Okay, what about you, Matt and Scott? Either one have a strong opinion, like yay or nay, on on how they can characters compare to each other. You know, I I uh, I, I I think Caleb hit the nail on the head. I'm just gonna say that I didn't think the characters were similar at all. I thought we all did wildly different things, and I think that even when we were handling situations that we weren't. Even when we were handling situations that weren't in our character's speciality, we still were were able to, like, bumble through it, and it was still fun. Like, when... Um, I just listened to the most recent episode recently, so that's why I'm saying this. Uh, like, when Scott was like, well, shouldn't we have the person who can do some sort of healing um, be doing this and not the guy with the sniper rifle? Oh, okay, great. They're there. They're there. I'm helping. <laughs> that's That's a very good point. I uh, I would I would actually I would agree I I don't think our characters felt like the same characters and we were just flavoring them differently I think they did feel very different some of that could be the role playing and the people playing them as much as the, the mechanics but that wasn't something that I experienced and it didn't seem like we all could have done the same thing we just chose not to so yeah so that was would not be a, a negative for me I think that worked out very well so I mean we. Sometimes I try to frame these as like all the positives and then like some of the cr- criticisms. We've kind of mixed these together a little bit. Um, so I'll start with you, Caleb. Since you obviously really like the game, is there any negatives? Is there any critiques or criticisms you have about the system? Not the game, not the necessarily the what we play, but the system itself that you experienced that would be a concern for you or just something you'd have in the back of your mind if you were going to run it or play it again? I think the only potential negative to Open Legend is the same problem that many other genre agnostic mechanical systems fall prey to, and that is the paralysis of choice. And we've experienced this, we've talked about this before. If a system does not give you guidance and leaves all the choices up to the players, it's very easy to not make a choice. Or rather, sometimes it's very difficult to make a choice. When you're faced with infinite options, sometimes it's hard to nail down exactly what you want to do. Luckily, Brian has created a very intriguing campaign setting with the release of Open Legend that I think not only demonstrates the power of the system, but also points players in the right direction and gives them some guidance. But that is something that not everyone will want to use or have access to use. So that's the big challenge. It's really easy to apply this, uh, these mechanics to typical high fantasy. It's also as easy to apply it to any other genre, but when you are finding those other 
genre terms, that's where it can get kind of tough and you can get lost in the infinite options that are available to you. So I did just want to jump in quickly for anyone listening about the Kickstarter. That brought up a good point that, yes, there's a Kickstarter going on right now. It's doing very, very well, but the rules are already available. You can go to the website right now. You don't need the Kickstarter for the rules, though you do get them in a you know, a nice PDF form or a hardback form. But a large part of the Kickstarter is actually the setting that uh, Brian and his players and team have developed over years of playtesting that you're getting a campaign setting to play this game in if you go to the Kickstarter. Well, a, a, a few settings, aren't they, right? Well, there's one setting, but it's basically sort of two. Uh, uh, there's Schlechtenberg, which is like the industrialized right, right. city. The, the and then two. there's a portal to the verdant uh, fields of that other world. Uh, so you kind of have like a high fantasy world and a steampunk world, and you can kind of cross between them. Uh, I think they've actually hit some stretch goals where they're now doing additional ones, too. Speaking of the Kickstarter, at the time of this recording, uh, they have barely over 1,000 backers, and they are 775% to goal. Let that sink in for a moment. So that's pretty aces. They're doing all right. All right. So Matthew, so same question to you then. Do you have any criticisms or concerns or complaints about the the game trying to focus on mechanics or system, not necessarily the game itself? I'm going to say that I myself am prone to indecision when uh, allowed to do anything in the multiverse. Like when we played that uh, the Wushu game where we were we could be anything. Like I felt paralyzed by indecision, and that's the only thing I have a problem with with open systems. It's like I need you to tell me what we're doing, and then I can figure out who I am in that thing. But if you tell me you can be anyone, it's like, well, I don't, I don't. What if I, uh, oh, you know what I'm saying? It's just like. Give me a genre and I'll go with it. But if you give me all genres, it's like, so that's my only criticism is that when, when provided with, with that, I I become uh, stuck in my own head. But outside of that, I I really enjoyed the game and I really, and the system is pretty cool. So, um, yeah. All right, Scott, what about you? Any concerns, criticisms, critiques? Let's see. I, I thought it might be. I, I enjoyed the level of crunch. I'd, I'd really want to um, try making my own character. I feel like that was, um, you know, we had pre-gens and they were level six, which which implies a certain degree more of complexity. Um, but but they did look like they would they would be a pain in the butt to make. Well, at least more so than like your dungeon world character or your, your fate character or your wushu character. Um, and it looked like a little bit more work to create than even your given like fifth edition character. Although that just may be that I'm really comfortable with 5e. So I'd... I'd um, I'm glad they had pre-gens. I would want uh, a good stable of pre-gens. And one problem with, with open systems is that you can't just Google, you know, like system name pre-gen and get 10,000 options to print them off real quick. So I'd, I'd hope they have a lot of pre-gens and I would, I would want to try character creation. I, I feel like that might be real fiddly. Um, aside from that, I, I think it was a, a good solid system, especially as, as a good compromise for people who want more crunch than the open systems, but still want to be able to represent arbitrary character types. So, and Caleb, you can correct me here. Uh, what is the upper level of cla- of levels? Is it nine or 10? Nine. Okay. So we were six level out of a total nine. So we were two thirds of the way through the entire power curve. So to Matt's point earlier, we definitely were higher end of the power scale, which may have affected. We were apex predators. So fact. (laughs) Yeah. So for me, the, the one 
criticism and and I and I've told all of you to try to focus on the mechanics. Mine is probably not necessarily that, but I think it does open up the possibility that when you have an open system, much like fate sometimes, a lot of what you can do is based on how persuasive you are or how dominant you can be at the table. And there was one time in particular where Brian basically said that makes no sense, but sure we'll go with it. So this may be a criticism of that moment, but but just like with any open system, if you have someone who's just forceful, they might be able to manipulate the system to do anything and kind of make that an instant problem solver, even though it doesn't always make exact sense. So that was really my only criticism of of the game. And that's when uh, Caleb used entropy magic to be able to forge someone's signature, which does not make any sense. It was one of the best moments of the game. So I'm glad it happened because that made me really happy. But I just kept thinking that makes no sense. You know, based off of that, I think it's also worthwhile to note there are not, uh, there's not a skill tree in Open Legend. And, and that is something that some people don't care about and some people care dearly about. I don't think it's necessarily good or bad, uh, but I think it's important to note you don't have a separate list of balance, acrobatics, knowledge, religion, knowledge, nature, survival. Those the stats, and there's a very big list of stats, not those six core stats we are used to seeing in a D20 game. They describe a lot of aspects of the characters. That's kind of up to the GM to translate a role based on what the player wants to do. So I think that goes a little bit to what you were saying, Michael. If you're really comfortable at role-playing, and if you're really comfortable at a convoluted justification of how a skill applies to a situation you have a little bit of advantage in open legend if you are the type of person who's more comfortable saying well i want to make a perception check what does that tell me that's not there that's not in the game although there is a perception stat but yeah, it I, was, I was gonna say there there are perception checks they are right there in the game what what are you <laughs> where are you getting at here okay perception there's no forgery skill so if you want to forge you you can't say i'm rolling my forgery skill. right there i picked a bad example my fault uh, i'll own that one there's not a knowledge religion how about that there's not forgery uh there's not survival so if you are not comfortable with that more arbitrary or abstract translation from character abilities to role-playing dynamic usage, that could be the downside. Maybe some people will not enjoy that or have a little bit harder time getting into the game if they're adjusting their perception, their understanding of the relationship between mechanics and narration. That kind of mirrors one of the big criticisms that a lot of people who enjoy Pathfinder or 3.5 had for 5th edition is there really isn't an exhaustive skill list. And it does, again, fall down to the to the DM or the player to say, hey, I want to do this thing. I guess it's based off of this attribute in this situation. And some people enjoy that flexibility and other people prefer more rigid. No, you know, forgery is based off of this and knowledge is based off of this. So, you know, I I guess it's not really a net positive or negative. It's more of a what do you enjoy and what are you comfortable with? Uh, I think we've kind of hit most of the good, most of the bad. Um, So I'll go around the table one more time. Is there just any last things that you would want to bring up? It can be new discussion topics or it can just be last points that you'd want to make. Uh, And Scott, I'll start with with you. Yeah, I thought 
I thought it was a fun system. I like, I really love general systems. I, I love the power to start from, you know, I'm going to be, you know, Blade Runner or Blade, right? Or or a Bladesmith or or some, you know, you can start with some B-themed uh, character trope and go straight to a, a concept. You don't have to, like, find one of the six classes and then try and find a fun trope within that, right? Um, so I I think it's it's powerful and it... it uh, could prove to be a lot of fun. I don't, uh, yeah, it's especially for for a crowd who's looking for a crunch and and slightly more technical combat and the satisfaction of obliterating uh, the the NPCs and things, right? Like it's maybe is a gateway drug to your friends who are used to tabletop gaming and they really like fifth edition and they don't want to try indie stuff. Like this would be a great indie system to get them on because it can still feel really competitive, but it opens up the universe into a lot of new tropes they've never tried before. And then they they can kind of reduce crunch and eventually you can wean them off that entirely and just play storyteller or go to the bar and bullshit, you know, I don't know. So, uh, yeah, I, I think it's a good system. All right. So you would play it again. Yes. A triple plus would play again. Fantastic. All right, Matthew, what about you? I like the way Scott's uh, decision leads people to hanging out at the bar. Eventually, I just want to hang out with people at the bar and tell stories. Okay. <laughs> no, you Someday. Need to... <laughs> Someday. Oh, Scott, we can hang out at the bar and tell stories. At a catacomb. I, I... When is that? <laughs> so soon. <laughs> After this comes... Or before this comes out. So uh, all the listeners already missed it. Unless you were there, in which case I hope I met you and maybe we got to hang out at a bar. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe or just with the drink. Or, or with a drink at you know a place that maybe we should or shouldn't have a drink because it's Ohio and I don't know how they feel about drinking. Anyway, uh, system right? That's what we're talking about. Open legend. Well, okay, sort of so either either final comments or new discussion topics. Uh, so new discussion topics. Uh, I've been really into Young Justice recently, and oh wait, you are okay. I'm 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 backtracking. I'm sorry. Open legend. I liked it. I would play it again. As long as we said, like, we are playing Amara's Dawn or what, Mari's Dawn or something. That's the, like, the. Uh, yeah, like, close enough. As long as we're playing that or we're playing, like, you know, uh, Weird West or something. As long as you tell me what we're playing, I'm down to clown. But if you say, hey, we're playing Open Legend, what are we playing? Eh, just make a character. I'd be like, Bleh. here's a rule book. Just pick anything at yeah, all. Yeah, exactly. It's like, Bleh. my brain hurts. So. Just just pick the first six skills in alphabetical order and show up. Yeah, but I liked how we um we game the hell out of that system and we beat it so bad we never needed to roll an aggressive die and it was very fun. Awesome. All right. So Caleb, what about you? So uh, last points or new discussion topic? I will mirror what Scott said. I think Open Legend is a nice transition game between different styles of gaming and it's it's a nice happy medium between a lot of different preferences. So it might be a way to get people into new things or uh, give some easy to understand examples of certain things. I think this is not necessarily a game for everyone though. Uh, there are some role-playing games that are very clearly geared towards the newbie. I've never played a role-playing game before. Here's how I do it. There are some games that are very clearly geared towards the seasoned hobbyist. And sometimes there are terms and expectations that you'll only understand and only grasp if you've been in the hobby for a while and you're willing to 
if you are able and willing to understand how things work in gaming. I don't think Open Legend is a bad game to teach to brand new players, but I also think that it does require a certain skill level and a certain familiarity with role-playing narration and storytelling. So that is something to consider. But that being said, I think it is a fantastic system. It's a very powerful mechanics. And like Scott said, this is a great system for replicating existing characters. It's very easy to say, I want to play X. I want to play a specific superhero, a specific character from a movie, TV show, or book. Since there are no classes, you don't have to try to justify or define how X class ability translates to Y scene on the big screen when I watch a movie. If I want to build Wolverine, I can build Wolverine, and it works. I don't have to say, well, okay, let me take a couple levels of fighter and a couple levels of of barbarian, and uh, let me find this one homebrew feat that lets this work, and, and maybe if I stretch the boundaries of what this skill means, that kind of applies. Uh, With Open Legend, you can just say, I want to build this character I see on the movie screen. He has this skill, that skill, and that skill. Invest the points. He has these banes and boons. He has these feats. Done. I have this character. So that's actually one of the things that I was thinking is we've we've really kind of fallen in love with playing Wushu, particularly for some of our 80s cartoon games, because Wushu allows you to model anything that you want to play. If you want to play Wolverine, you don't have to worry about, like you said, what levels, what feats. You just play Wolverine, you're done. And this game does give me the feeling that I could, as you said, build uh, a character from a, from media, you know, Mal from Firefly or Wolverine from the X-Men or Doctor Strange um, in this system. I, again, I don't know if you could do it at first level. You might have, may have to cheat up a little bit to, to really model the, the power level. But I do think this might be a crunchier version of a system that would allow us to play those existing characters. And I certainly would like to try that. So maybe the next time we play it, we might do like a, an Avengers versus X-Men scene and see how well we can model that. And and think about it. In Wushu, it works because there's so few rules. And you can just say this attribute, this trait defines everything about this pre-existing character. Open Legend is kind of the next step from there. It allows you to take those arbitrary traits or attributes or aspects of an existing character and figure out how they work numerically and crunchily. So it's it's kind of an evolution from Wushu if we're looking at Wushu as a tool to create characters that we see in other media sources. Awesome. I, I also think, even though we have not necessarily avoided talking about it, but not necessarily focused on it either. It's very worthwhile to bring up that the game we specifically played that Brian ran for us was a really fantastic game. The The setting is, is a great setting. The story Brian ran for us was really engaging. It was really entertaining. And I think we came up with such goofy, crazy solutions to the challenges presented to us. It was a blast. It was really fun. And Brian deserves a lot of props for that. It it was fun. 
right up until it turned out Mr. Blowhard or Blastiff or, or Blumagord or whatever had completely screwed us and the other shoe dropped and that was the end of the adventure. Now we have to have several other adventures to exact our revenge. I don't, uh, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm okay with more adventures. I think we're all okay with good adventures, more adventures. I think we're all okay with more adventures. I just didn't like how we were getting our ass kicked at the end of that adventure. I was like, wait. Well, yeah, it seemed like it was stacked I was like, against wait, us a little we bit. We just bowled through all this bullshit, and now all of a sudden, vines? Fucking vines? Yeah. I uh, I, I think, uh, you know, he heavily hinted to us, right, that, that we were probably supposed to realize there was a no-win situation, a no-win scenario waiting for us. Oh, dude, I called that at the beginning. Like, the first thing, I was like, dude, we're all going to die, and, and we started the war. Come on. That, that, that's true. That's true. I guess it would have been a fitting end. Uh, yeah. We're all killed. Just like, ah, vines kill y'all. I told you. Rocks so. fall. And everyone we, does. And we were under time constraints. Uh, yes. We all had a tight schedule that day, and I think our shenanigans during the course of the adventure might have gotten a little out of hand and became time-consuming. Maybe. <laughs> But I don't disagree that from a story-only standpoint, that ending was a little unjustified. Well, we had to carve out time for my college masseuse who (laughs) takes night classes, you know, because without all that backstory fleshed out, I just wouldn't have felt comfortable in that scene. And the whole dinner scene with uh, the, the soup, I mean, that was just Three Stooges caliber comedy. We could not have cut that out. Yeah, no. I uh, actually two of my favorite things that have happened in any game in memory was in that game, and one was Matt's line. Well, these parents. Why are is that line so funny? Correct me up. No, like <laughs> it's awesome. And again, and it, it and the great thing is that that was in character. Like I said, that wasn't a Matthew joke. That was your yeah. character joke. Cracks me up. And then I love the fact that we wrote in a massage meeting in his day planner, and that worked. Like that is just. So awesome. I just, I love that moment. That was a a pretty fantastic cascade of events. It's true. (laughs) I feel like we should, we should, uh, we should replay that exact campaign in um, One Last Job and compare the systems. (laughs) I actually have never played One Last Job. Me neither. Um, There's actually, yeah, a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of systems I still want to try. So let's, uh, let's wrap this up. But I will say if anyone is listening and you have a game or a system that you would like the RPG Academy to do a trial of, contact us. We prefer to have a, the designer or creator of the game run it whenever possible so that we get the best possible experience to share with our listeners. It doesn't have to be something that's in the process of kickstarting. It can just be something that you want us to share with our audience and maybe just have a fun game plan. We can't obviously do all of them, but we will certainly try. Uh, so please uh, give us a contact at Michael at the RPG Academy or Caleb at the RPG Academy and let us know. So for Caleb, Matthew, and Scott, this has been Michael, and we will see you next time. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast, the flagship program of the RPG Academy Network. If you enjoy what we do here, then please check out therpgacademy.com and visit our site partners for additional entertainment and gaming advice. We do this out of love for the hobby and for you, our fans. The podcast and site content will always be free for you to enjoy and utilize. But we do have expenses related to the show. If you'd like to help out in any way, 
please visit patreon.com slash vrpgacademy and check out the rewards we are providing for your monthly pledges. We use all funds that come in to improve the show and give you better content and quality. And if you don't have the coin to spend, don't worry. You can still help us out in many ways. You can subscribe to our show on iTunes and or Stitcher Radio. You can leave us a five-star review. Also, if you clear your cookies and you visit Amazon or the drive-thru RPG site through our portal, we get a small percentage of what you pay, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Just like any RPG, our site works best with open lines of communication. We love talking with our listeners about everything. Please contact us with any questions, concerns, and comments that you have. We also love to hear feedback and experiences from your own games. You can email us via podcast at vrpgacademy.com and reach us on social media, such as Facebook and Google Plus at vrpgacademy. But Twitter is usually the fastest way to reach us. You can find my favorite co-host, the Caleb G, at the Caleb G. And you can find my favorite co-host, Michael, at the RPG Academy. Thanks for listening. And as always, if you're having fun, you're doing it right.